Well, good morning. Today we're talking about faith that works as uh, we get together as the, the church starting the year off. It's really going to kind of be a theme for us as we go throughout this year. Uh, we want to make sure we kind of come back to the basics. God has some great things for us as we move ahead, but uh, we want to make sure that we're, as a church, being disciples that build actual disciples, that we're actually following Jesus. And so uh, we're, we're coming back to the very basic thing we talked about last week about faith, uh, kind of what it is, and uh, uh, the core of that is trusting God, having that confident assurance and, and His promise and who He is and all those things. And, but there's a reason we got to do that is because as a church, we want to we want to please God. We're his body. We're his bride. We want to make sure that we're doing things in such a way that are pleasing to him as a corporate uh, body of Christ as well as individuals uh, following after him. I mean, I, I don't want uh, you know, God looking at my life in heaven and be like, oh, right? I want him to be excited, happy, you know, pleasing him, and, uh, which is why our anchor verse, as we talk about this, really focusing back onto why is it that we would even talk about faith at the very beginning of this year as we kind of anchor back into it. As you remember, Hebrews eleven six it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm not great at doing the impossible. I mean, God can do that, but for us, not very good at that. So I uh, want to make sure that we uh, start with the most important things, that we uh, practice our faith faithfully, that we serve God in such a way that brings Him honor and glory. And so we want to to please Him and what we do. And that really begins with this core ingredient of faith. Now, I call this an anchor verse. Uh, also, you, you could know as like a memory verse you want to, or a thing to memorize or to meditate on, to think about that. I think if this is an important thing for us to, to set our, our focus back onto, think about what we're doing in our life and why. Uh, as sometimes we get distracted, as Jesse was saying, so busy doing things, we kind of forget the purpose <laughs> behind them. And uh, so I will use this as a filter for your actions, filter for your motivations, filter for how, especially as we're directing your steps this beginning of this year, to say, you know, if, is this an expression of faith, right? Because without that, no matter what we do, it's not going to please God, right? Even if we do big things for the kingdom, if they're not done in faith, we're not going to please them. We want to start there. So on your connection card, you'll notice that we put that uh, anchor verse there on that uh, it's perforated so you can take that with you so that you can. These on the back, there's some tools there, the first letters, each word, so it helps it to you memorize it easier. And, and I encourage you, come back to that and say it over and over and over again. There's something powerful in this that begins to think about how this applies in your life. Uh, and uh, it, it really does begin to change how we live so that as a church, we're doing things that please God, right? So we, we say without faith, uh, it's impossible to please God. Of course, last week we talked about, well, what is faith then? Why, if we need this, how do we uh, please him? Well, Hebrews 11, 1, which most of this series is going to be Hebrews 11, although today we're going to take a, a little tangent uh, to uh, both Old and New Testaments on that. But, uh, but it talked about this is really the biblical definition because it's in the Bible, tells us what it is. Right? And faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And there's those two things that are so important that we have this confidence, right? which means we trust it. It doesn't mean that we always understand it. It's not faith is understanding what we hope for. right? It's not agreeing with. Faith is agreeing. No, it's confidence that God is what we're hoping for, God's promises. We have confidence that God is going to keep his word. So we sang that song today that we know uh, that, that he's always going to be uh, good, that, that uh, we, we preach to our fear, right? 
We, right? we say, you know what, God was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful now, that God's promises are true, that he's at work, he hasn't abandoned us. Right? We have this assurance about what we do not see. There are promises that haven't been kept yet. Right? We, I haven't seen heaven yet. I haven't seen my new body yet. I haven't seen myself be declared by heaven's throne, not guilty, but I have absolute assurance that's going to happen. I'm going to live my life in such a way. That, that is there. So we have this faith, this confidence and assurance in God, right? It starts with the belief in God, as we talked about last week in Hebrews, as it begins to talk about this, in God as our creator. That, uh, that it's impossible without faith, it's impossible to please God, because by faith, we, it says, we recognize that God is the creator, right? And that he rewards those who seek him. Right? That's where it begins with, that God is supernatural, he's above all things, he has a direction, he's holy, he's different than us. He has the power to do the impossible, he has the power to bring his will about, he has the right to do those things. Um, but it's also then needs to be expressed, not just uh, in our cognitive understanding that there's critics, it's got to be expressed in our righteous action, which is then all of these people in Hebrews 11, they go through and you see how their faith was expressed. And so faith then results in godly living, not more me-like living, right? I start to live more the way that God has called me to. That's going to be an expression of my faith, my confident assurance that God exists. He rewards those who seek him, that I'm going to start living that way. And faith then always leads to eternal life, every time, right? If we have put our faith in God, that's where it, that's where it ends up. You never find somebody in Scripture anywhere else that, that finds eternal life outside of having faith, which is why in Ephesians it says that we are saved by grace through faith and not from ourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. So we understand this idea of what faith is. It's, it's not just this wishy-washy hoping for something. It's a confident assurance. It's not, uh, it's not just understanding. It's not just being obedient. That faith is having this assurance that God is creator and then beginning to live our lives in such a way that we begin to honor him. So if that's what faith is, then how does it work? Right? How is it that we have this idea of faith, apply it into our lives in such a way that it makes this change, that it leads to eternal life and not just to eternal life for you know, uh, forever, but also leads to abundant life for us now, so we can live the full life that God has for us. How does faith work? Well, the rest of Hebrews has all of those examples, right? And I hope that you read those last week. If not, you can read them this week, and it's helpful. But I also think sometimes that we identify things even easier sometimes if we look at the contrast. Like in Hebrews 11, you have all these examples of faith that works. So I'm going to give you this morning a couple of examples of faith that doesn't work, that we, we see at times in Scripture where there was uh, things that did not lead to eternal life, did not lead to godly living, right? did not uh, lead to a, a, this, this understanding of God as creator. Right? And so there's lots of examples in Scripture of that, but I'm going to focus on two, um, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, kind of give us a little balance there. And so the first one we're looking at in the Old Testament is the fall, right? And oops, I went too far. All right. So the fall. So the fall is uh, uh, when humanity, uh, it, God created us in perfection in the garden, right? He made Adam, and he's like, hey, everything's perfect. They eat, right? And everything was great. Everything you ever needed. Perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with nature. Uh, everything was running good, but it wasn't all good, right? There was, you know, Adam needed a companion. But other than that, it was, it was a pretty sweet deal. And God said about this, this very clear instruction. He said, the Lord God, God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. That's a lot of freedom. 
hey, just go and eat, try it out. It's the best buffet. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree out of a forest of, of plenty, right? Just stay away from that one. Because if you eat it, you'll certainly die. It's not that I'm being mean about this, dude. It's just that it's poison, right? So there was the tree of, of life, and there's tr all the other trees they could eat from, and then there was this one, son of the garden said, hey, don't do it. It was a very clear instruction. God wasn't ambiguous about this. Adam totally understood it, right? And as long as he steered clear from the tree of good and evil, he would have access to all the other trees in the garden, plus the tree of life. But you couldn't have access to both. And so uh, Adam's there, and he's lonely, and all this, so Adam makes, or God makes Eve, and Adam now has a companion, and he explains this rule to Eve and says, hey, listen, we can eat from everything. Just stay away from that one tree. Trust me, it's not going to lead to good things. And life was pretty good, right? But then, um, then we have a problem. It's because the serpent... The devil decides he's gonna, he knows how to trap us. And he goes to Eve and he says, Hey, Eve, with all this freedom God gave you, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? And she's like, well, that's ridiculous. God said we could eat from any tree in the garden. Well, like, except, of course, from this tree. Right? If we even touch it, we're going to die. I mean, she even set up like a rule around the rule. Like, I don't want to stay away from that tree. That's a bad tree. Don't, don't go there. And Satan says, he confuses things, doesn't he? Did God really say that, right? No, no, no. You're not going to die when you eat from that tree. See, God knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like him. You're going to be able to decide for yourself what is right and wrong. He's just holding out on you. That's why he created this tree and told you not to eat from it. And then uh, we read, then, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she was convinced by Satan's... Uh, and let's give Eve a little bit of, of a grace here. Satan convinced the angels to rebel against God when they could see him in his glory. I mean, he convinced a lot of angels when they were in heaven, could see God on his throne, all of this, that it was in their best interest to rebel against God, right? So he's, he's good. And he convinces her... And saw it was desirable for gaining wisdom. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to see good and evil, be able to choose for ourselves, wrong morals? I mean, what would be wrong with that? So she took some and ate it. She started reasoning herself. She ate it. And then Adam was in the garden there with her too. She gave some to him, and he wasn't like, what are you doing? He was like, okay. I bet he watched her first, though. <laughs> right? She didn't die. So he ate it too. And it's here in Scripture we find the very first failure of faith. Right? When we see this first departure, before this point, Adam and Eve walked in faithfulness before God. They, they, they were with him, they trusted him, they lived in harmony with, with him and, ha and his creation. But uh, in this particular instance, for the first time, we saw humanity have this deviation from faith. They didn't have confident assurance in what God had promised. Right? Now, did, is it that they didn't believe in God? No, no, they believed that God was creator. They still understood that, right? They started there. They accepted God as creator, but they just didn't believe what he was telling them. Right? They didn't trust that God as creator was also good. They didn't have a 
assurance of what they did not see. So they started taking things into their own hands. So yeah, you can believe that God exists, and yet still not trust him. And even though you believe that there's a God, that doesn't mean that you have faith, because you do not have the, you have confidence that he's there, but not assurance of what he said. And so what happened? Well, exactly what God said would happen. Their eyes were opened, right? And all of a sudden, they were like God. They were able to determine for themselves what was right and wrong. The problem is, is that humans, our standard of morality doesn't always match God's standard of morality, and his is based on, on reality. And so we became untethered in our ethics from God. And we started believing things were good that weren't good. And we started saying things are wrong that God said are, are, <laughs> are wrong. And so we started to disagree with God. And haven't we as humans done that ever since? And we don't just do that against God. We have differences of opinions with each other. I mean, think about wars. Wars rarely happen between, you know, a, you know the white hats and the black hats, where there's these people who believe they're bad. I mean, wars are two different nations both believing they are in the right, usually. They have their justifications, and we will kill each other over that. But it's not just countries that do it. We do that ourselves. How many wars are happening in our homes with two different parties believing that you're totally in the right? And you will destroy the person you love most in the world because you think that they're wrong and you're right. You have a difference of opinion, a difference of ethic, a difference of what is right and what is wrong. And the result of that has been death from the beginning. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. And we can't have access to both. You can't have access to the tree of life once we've been poisoned by the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Once our ethical compasses have been untethered from God, once we're living according to what I say is right is what is right, once I have that kind of pride and arrogance, and we even judge God, don't we? How many people in the world have judged God say, I read in Scripture that God did this. I can't follow a God who would do that. Well, guess what? God doesn't need you. And somebody's going to be judging somebody. You can judge God all you want to, but he's the one who actually has the authority. And if you want to declare peace with anyone, probably should be God. And here's something. Maybe the author of ethics itself maybe have a better understanding of what is right and wrong than you do. This was a hard lesson for me because I was really judgy of God a lot in my life, even after I was a pastor for a while, because I didn't like how he did things. And I was like, God, you're being incompetent, right? Sounds silly, but I was serious. And then how ridiculous that truly is began that conviction of my heart and to realize that, no, I was eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I was believing my own goodness above God's goodness. I was not trusting. I wasn't confident of, of what I hoped for. I hoped that God was ethical, but I wasn't confident. I would have no assurance in my heart. I thought I knew better. And what does it lead to? It leads to destruction and death and frustration. Faith like that doesn't work. Now, in that time in my life when I was judging God, did I believe he existed? Oh, absolutely. I knew there was a creator. That's why I would yell at him. That's why I was so mad at him. Because I believed that he was being incompetent. thought he was being cruel or mean or heartless or something else. I believed he existed. I just had no trust in him. I was no different than Adam or Eve. Can you, can you relate? I mean, I probably am the worst sinner here, but maybe you can understand a little bit of what that's like. Well, 
That's a faith that doesn't work, and it costs us dearly as a culture, as a, as a race, right, as individuals. So one of the things we look at in our life is faith that doesn't work is a faith that begins with, yeah, I trust that there is a God, but I just don't trust him. Now let's go to the New Testament. There's another story that's about faith that doesn't work that's a little different. Uh, that's the rich young ruler, uh, Matthew 19. Um, this was near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's a story that a lot of, if you've read through scripture a few times, it's one that sticks out to a lot of people. It's really troubling. It really bothered me for years as a, as a young believer. And there are still times in my life where I wrestle with this. Is that you have this, uh, at the end of Jesus' ministry, it's near the end, he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's, all his disciples, everyone's like, don't go there. They're going to kill you because the, the, the uh, religious elite at the time, they knew that they were going to, looking to kill Jesus. He's going back for the last Passover, the last supper. Like He's going to go into there. He knows exactly what he's walking into, right? So he's, he's making his journey on the way back there. He's had time now in his ministry to be able to preach and teach and do all these miracles and, and to validate his divinity as well as his messiahship. Like the, the People were kind of becoming polarized. There were those who were fully convinced and were beginning to follow him. And there was others that said, you know what? I'm going to trust the tradition and our religious elite. So, but uh, Jesus was well established, right? And he's coming back to, to Jerusalem on his way back there. And uh, you have this, uh, this man who, um, who was a, a very faithful follower of God. He was wealthy, he was youthful, he had things going for him, but uh, he was also very committed to God. And he recognizes Jesus' authority in this. And he goes to Jesus and, and he says, you know, teacher, good teacher, um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that I have eternal life. Right? I, I long for, I know that God exists, and I know that he rewards those who seek him. That's basically what he's saying, right? And so tell me, right, uh, how, make sure that I have eternal life. And then Jesus says, well, for starters, uh, you know, why don't you just follow God's laws if that's what you want to do? And the man says, I have. I, fo I follow them all, like, meticulously ever since I was a kid. Right? I don't violate any of them. I, you read the, the, the covenant, all the 300 laws that are in there. He's like, I've done them. I've done them all. I've kept the laws around the laws. Like, I've, I am really, really good at this. I want to make sure that I'm righteous before God. Now, of course, the man had sinned in his heart. If he would have listened to some of Jesus' teachings, he would have recognized, well, great, you didn't murder somebody. Have you ever hated them? That's just as bad. Oh, I'm glad that you, you haven't committed adultery. Have you lusted after somebody? Oh, it's, it's really good that you haven't stolen from somebody, but have you ever had envy? Because the heart, God wants to be pure as well as our actions. And if the man would have known that, he would have known he was in violation of a lot of God's laws because he, maybe his, he kept the cage around him so the beastie was, was uh, you know, confined so he wasn't able to do the bad things that would naturally it would do if it was let out. didn't have religion to protect him. But uh, he said, you know, I've done these things. So Jesus then says to him, all right, I agree with you. You've been very good at being obedient. Very good. But there is one thing that you lack. You need to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. A and then we read this very troubling uh, thing where he says, you know, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possession to the poor, follow me. And he says, when the young man heard this, 
he went away sad because he had great wealth. That troubles me deeply. Because here is a person coming to Jesus looking for eternal life who had a history of faithfulness to God. And after his interaction with Jesus, instead of being welcomed into the kingdom, there was a doorway. Jesus said, this is how you could come in. But he turns away. I mean, he had his, he had his toes in the kingdom. And he was right there. And the greatest uh, invitation that any human could ever get was, was only a handful of humans ever got to Jesus actually said, come follow me, be my disciple. Right? We would know his name we would be naming our kids after him today. I, he, would, he would have gone from obscurity into greatness. Right? He, he was on the verge of an amazing thing. And what happened? As he turned away. Now, this man had obedient lifestyle. He had godly living. He believed that God was, was the, uh, the creator. He believed that God rewarded those who... Uh, who seeks him. He had all those things that we would look at for faith, and yet his faith failed. And this is a challenge. Why? Where was the breakdown? Well, the, I wasn't the only one that was concerned by this. The apostles themselves, the disciples, would they saw this all play out, and they see this man walk away sad because he knew he wasn't, he wasn't going to follow Jesus there. He's, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll, I'll make sure that I keep the Sabbath, and I'll tithe, and I'll do all those other things, but I am not going to give away all my stuff to follow you. And so he goes away sad, recognizing he took his worth, earthly wealth in exchange for the kingdom's wealth, and that's why he was sad. Uh, the disciples were like, this is terrifying. They're like, if this guy can't make it into the kingdom, who can make it into the kingdom? And, and Jesus begins to describe to them. He's like, well, listen, with uh, people, it's pretty much impossible. You're not going to be able to do it on your own, for starters. right? But he said, you know, it's, there's also this thing where uh, the more you have to give up, the harder it is to get in the kingdom. The more you have to sacrifice. That's why Jesus said it's, it's really difficult for the wealthy to get in the kingdom. In fact, it's says easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than to make it to the kingdom. And uh, other thing is like, that's going to be hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Why? The more you have to give up, the more you have to walk away from, the more difficult it becomes. And this man clung to the world more than he clung to Christ. And then Jesus explains that this was exactly the problem as he talks to the disciples about that. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much as they and will inherit eternal life. Right? Now, there's a key in there. It says, for my sake. This man was willing to sacrifice a lot of things. He was according to live according to the law. He was willing to, to change his lifestyle, to have all these legal rules around him, to, to, to do things that he didn't want to do, to be obedient and all of that. But he wasn't willing to follow Jesus completely. That, that leaving fathers or brothers or houses or wives or all those things for religion, for, for yourself, for a way of just making yourself feel good, it's not pleasing God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is for his sake that matters. See, this is a test. Faith is a test or an expression of loyalty. It's why when we talk about 
uh, faith in its fullest form being faithful? It's loyalty, isn't it? When I do a, a, a wedding ceremony, part of the vows, you will be faithful to each other, forsaking all others, so long as God gives you, gives you both life or you both shall live. Right? That's one of the things that people say, I will do that. When I'm saying being faithful, it's, it's not just having this confident assurance in them. It's being loyal to them as well. And that's, that's a key portion of faith that I think often gets overlooked, but it's a, this core of what faith is all about. This is why, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because faith works as loyalty to God. That is what it is. It is our test of loyalty. That's why you can't get into the kingdom of heaven without it. I mean, God can make you moral, right? He can take away our sin nature, and he will. He'll sanctify us, right? He's going to forgive us of our sins, and then when we get to heaven, we're not even going to ha- want to sin. That's going to be a pretty great day. Our moral compass will be corrected. The poison from the tree of knowledge of good and even will be, will be gone from our systems. We won't have to worry about what is right and wrong. We'll just know what is right and wrong. We'll be connected again to God. Our true north will point to north again. That's going to be a great day. Well, so God is not so concerned about our morality. He's going to make us moral. Even through our lives, we get to learn how to do that. What God is more concerned about is our loyalty. Let us not forget, even the angels in heaven who saw God in their perfection before they fell, right? They're holy angels, able to be in the presence of God. And what caused them to be cast out of heaven was the fact they chose to rebel against God. They lost their faithfulness to him. They lost their access to the Almighty. They lost their their right to eternal life. And it is no difference for us as humans. We need to be loyal to God. See, Adam and Eve failed on this because they chose themselves, didn't they? They said, God told us that if we eat from this, we're going to die. But if we eat from it, we can be like him. We could do things our own way. And what was the consequence? A war between heaven and earth. We lost our access to to the life. Doesn't that happen in our own lives? How many times we disagree with God? He'll tell us to do something, and we're like, hmm, I do a lot of good things for you, God. I do a lot of good things for you. I pray. I come to church and listen to this pastor guy. He talks to me. I I do all kinds of suffering for you. And yet, you ask this one thing. I don't want to do that. That's wrong. Forgive this person. Give this thing to this person. Help this. I don't want to do it. I'm going to do things for me. When we become faithless, we can't please God. Now, this is not this abstract idea this is, makes sense right think about this i have a, a great marriage right i love my wife we connect we do all things but if i wasn't faithful to her say i did everything else in my wife uh, in our life that i do i'm nice to her i provide for her, i care for her, i pray for her I, right I, i'm a great husband i really am right a great <laughs> husband but let's say i also also want to be a great boyfriend to somebody else would all that other stuff matter to her? It'd break her heart. Or let's say I didn't have a girlfriend. But, you know, I was like, Amy, let's, let's go on a date because I have to do it. You know, it's legalistic. I have to do this. I have to take you on a date night because it's the right thing to do. Um, I don't like you, but we'll just do it. And here's some flowers. I hope that appeases you. Would she be pleased? 
See, if we're not loyal to God, why do we think anything else in our life would matter to him? That's what faith is about. It's about choosing God. It's about trusting him. It's about caring for believing that God really is good, even if I don't understand it. Believe that he's worthy, even if I don't understand it. See, the rich young ruler didn't have that. He's like, God, you're, you're good enough to this point, but really, I'd rather choose me. I'd rather have this wealth. And Jesus was very clear, you can't serve two masters. You, you, can't, you can't have a girlfriend on the side or a boyfriend on the side. You just can't do it. That our hearts have got to be his and his alone. And he's not being just nasty because we asked for that. This is healthy. That God wants our hearts. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have this, this love in our eyes for him that says, "You, God, I don't always get you, but you are worthy and you're worth it. And if I have to walk away from everything to be with you, so be it. Aren't those the love stories that we read or watch on those really you know, cheesy movies or whatever that you watch that really just kind of draw on your hearts where somebody has to walk away from everything in order to choose their true love? Right? There's something in there. There's something in that that speaks to us because it's part of our design being, being imprinted in, 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 in the image of our creator. That we want to be found worthy. We want to be found that... that, that that the relationship is enough. See, God wants that from us. He wants us to trust him. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He wants you to be faithful. He wants to be loyal. And that's why if you look in that, that list of all the people you're going to read about this week, you're going to read about them this week in, in Hebrews 11, right? You're going to read that, and you're going to see this list of all these people who were really flawed, had horrible, horrible sins in their life, big failings, all that kind of stuff. But what did they have, right? They loved God. They would mess up, but they would go back to me like, mm, yeah, that was wrong, but I love you. You're worth it. I'm going to change. I'm going to follow you. No matter what it costs, I want to be with you. And Jesus says, you know what? If you, that's why if you give up tons of things for me, you're going to find eternal life. This is how you have relationship. And guess what? God loves you back. See, we're not the only ones that are faithful. God is faithful to us, isn't he? In fact, it says even when people aren't faithful, God is faithful. That even when our hearts deceive us, that God is so loyal and good to us, he gave up everything so that he could have a relationship with us, didn't he? He gave up a whole lot more than a lot of, you know, this, this rich young ruler's wealth. He gave up his own life on a cross. That's where Jesus was going to. He was going to Jerusalem to give it all because God is loyal to his people. He loves his bride. He will not, he will not turn away from us. He will, not, he will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will do whatever it takes to make sure that we have what's necessary. He even, his Holy Spirit even comes and lives with us. Think about that. Could you stand living with you if you didn't have to for your whole life? Let you do all the stupid things that you know you're going to do? God chose to give you his Holy Spirit to help you in the midst of that, never leaving you nor forsaking you, praying for you even when you're being a stinker. Like God cares for you. He is loyal. He is faithful to you. And he calls us to be faithful back to him. And that's a good thing. See, that's why faith is an expression of loyalty. That, that, that we, we have this mutual relationship with God. He, 
he draws us back into. And, and James, too, like James really talks about it, his scripture about, uh, his, his, uh, about how faith needs to be put into practice then. Because I can love my wife with my mind all I want to. But if that loyalty to her never turns out in my actions, if I always treat her horribly, or if I'm not, I know it doesn't change how I live, I never demonstrate my love, do I really love her? That's why James at 2.19 says this, uh, if you believe there's one God, good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. See, faith that doesn't work is a faith that is just kept here. It's, not, it's a faith of the mind, but it's not a faith of the heart. It's not a faith of the loyalty to God. It's not a faith of relationship. It's just a faith that says, well, yeah, of course there's a God. I have to be an idiot to think there's not a God, right? And he's like, well, great. Demons do that, but they're not loyal to God, right? They don't have a working faith. They have a faith. They just have a working faith, and it's not going to work out for them. So belief in God alone isn't enough, right? Like Adam and Eve teach us this story. This is understanding that there's a creator out there. It's not enough, right? Uh, uh, that, that good deeds aren't enough. You're not going to purchase God's favor with how you act, Right? You're not going to impress him by just doing all kinds of great things if you're being unfaithful to him. We learned that lesson from the rich young ruler. Like Faith requires us to choose God first. He's got to be enough. No matter what he's asking of you, we have to come to a point. Some, we, he gives us grace so we can wrestle with it. We have to come to a point that says, you know what? You're worth it. You're worthy. And, and, and whatever you're asking is good. It's for my good, but it's also good. Because I have confidence in what I hope for. I have assurance about what I do not see. And you're a good God. And you are trustworthy. And your ways are truly the way of real life. Even when my broken moral compass disagrees with you, you are right. And I'm going to follow you. And you're worthy. And that's James's point. That faith is incomplete without our actions. Faith is incomplete if we don't demonstrate it. And if we don't show God that he is worthy. And so... Let's look at a different example of faith that uh, we see is, is Abraham and Isaac. This is a faith that was put to the test. This is one of the things that keeps some people from becoming Christians as they look at this and they judge God. Because you have this guy named Abraham, right? And, and he's old man. God, he left his whole country when he was 70 years old. Well-established, wealthy, all that kind of stuff. God says, hey, leave that pagan land. I'm going to show you a country that I'm going to give you a land even though you don't have kids yet, and you're an old man, you're going to have lots of them, and I'm going to give you a, a future, and I'm, the Messiah is going to come through. You just got to trust me. And Abraham, even though he didn't have the Bible because it wasn't written yet, he didn't have everything. He just trusted God. He, he said, you know what? You're worthy. And he followed after him. And after uh, 30 years, he finally has a son. Okay? And then that boy, like, he, he uh, begins to grow up, and he gets to be almost a man. He's like 12 years old. And God says, this one, this one who I, all my promises, everything that you have given your whole life to, and by the way, you're old enough now that you can't recover from this investment if it goes south, right? So everything is on this. Kill him. Take him to this mountain. I want you to sacrifice him for me. Now, that's a much bigger ask than the rich young ruler was given. In Isaac was everything, all of Abraham's wealth, his whole future, the whole reason he had done everything, brought his family through this whole ordeal, living as in a tent or wandering around and uh, you know, waiting for God's promises. Everything was there. And God was tested to say, are you going to be loyal? Or are you going to choose other things? Is there anything else in your life that's more important than me? And uh, Abraham chooses God. 
Now, Abraham brings Isaac up to the mountain, brings a knife up, he's going to sacrifice him. And God sends an angel and stops his hand and says, well done, you passed the test. God provided a ram, sacrifice was made, and then a couple thousand years later, a sacrifice was made. There were God sacrificed his own son, showing real loyalty to the people that he loved. But the example for us in Abraham of faith that works, is, as James points out, it says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? It wasn't just that Abraham believed that God asked him to do this. It wasn't just this acknowledgement that God, you've been faithful to me thus far and you've kept your promise in this and I know what you asked me to do. He did the most difficult thing any parent could ever be asked to do in all of humanity. This is an exceptional test. And God said he was considered righteous for what he did. Well, I thought we were saved by God's grace through faith, not by works. How can he be saved by what he did? Because what he did was an expression of his faith. It was the natural expression. He recognized, God, I am loyal to you, and I know I'm going to trust that you are good, even if I don't understand it. Now, if there was ever a human who had the right to judge God and say, God, it is wrong to murder. You made that rule with Adam. It's wrong to murder. Take another human's life. How can you t ask me to do this? And you gave me these promises. How can you possibly ask me to do this? Right? If there's ever a human that could have judged God, I think it would have been Abraham. And yet, he said, God, I judge my own heart. I don't understand what you're doing but I know you, and I'm going to choose you. And that faith was accredited to him as righteousness, because it pleased God. And so it goes on to say, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made by, complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled, and it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called, get this, God's friend. A place in scripture, we'll talk about it and read it in Hebrews, he Abraham even uh, reasoned to himself, I don't understand how it's going to be if I have to sacrifice my son, but I know that God gave me a promise to the son, and even though it makes no sense to me, if God has got to raise Isaac from the dead from this, he will. And there's going to be a better testimony. I trust God so much more than I trust my own thinking. I am loyal to God more than I'm even loyal to myself. And think about this. He would have to explain this to his wife when he got back home, which would have been a difficult thing. He had to choose God above everything. If it would cost him dearly, he trusted him. And God said, you pass the test of loyalty. And God already knew Abraham was loyal. Abraham needed to know Abraham was loyal. We needed to know Abraham was loyal. We needed to know what faith looked like. And so Abraham believed God. He trusted him. He had confident assurance of what he hoped for. He hoped for the God's promises. What he, he had his assurance of what he didn't see. He knew that his lineage would come through Isaac, that boy. Not just any boy, that one, because God himself said it is through that son that the promise is going to come through. So he trusted him, and his, faith, his actions followed. And then look what it says that about this. He was called God's friend. Wow. That's pleasing God, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's the cool thing. When our lives are lived in this loyalty, this faithfulness, this love towards God, God doesn't just see us as these servants, these little playthings that he just maneuvers around on this earth to just have his fun with. He cares for us, and he actually likes us. That we can have a friendship with God, not, a, not a, this uh, hostility. And that changes everything for us, doesn't it? Changes how we live. I mean, I'm grateful to know that when I leave this church, I'm not looking out for asteroids that are going to come down and smite me because I'm not perfect. 
that God is for me, and so who in this world could be against me? He's bigger than the enemy, who's really smart. He's bigger than this world. He's bigger than my problems. My God is at work. He's working all things together for, for my good and for his kingdom. He's at work today in my good things in my life and my bad things. He's, he's mitigating the good in my life so I don't fall away from him, so he doesn't give me too much good so I'll become rotten. At the same time, he's only giving me the bad things in my life. He's either demonstrating his power through them or he's going to be refining me through them, but he's also building a testimony through the test. God is at work. Well, that's why we see that faith that works is, is a powerful thing and that faith only works then for God's faithful. You cannot have this just a, an understanding about who God is and trust that there is a God if you're not going to be faithful to him. All of that understanding isn't going to be any better than the demons have. Right? All of that understanding is not going to be better than the rich young ruler. All that understanding is not going to be better than Adam and Eve. That if you love God and you choose him, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be loyal. You have to say, God, I'm following you. You are worthy. And that's where faith works. So it's a loyalty check. Don't just believe in God. Be loyal to God. Don't just do good. Be faithful in your actions. Do what God says is good because he wants you to do those things. Trust him, even especially when you don't understand him, because he is worth it. And so you have to be choose to be loyal to God. How do we apply that? Well, I think it begins with an, a, an ex, a, a introspective view of our own actions, doesn't it? Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? See, that's what Jesus saw in the rich young ruler. He peered into his heart and said, you're doing all the right things, but you're doing for all the wrong reasons. You're not loyal to me. I don't have your heart. So look at what we're doing. Why are you living the life that you're living? Why are you here? When, when you serve God, why is it that you're serving him? Is it because it's what you want to do or are you doing what God has asked you to do? Choose him. Follow him. And here's the greatest thing about scripture. When you read the Bible, truly read it, it's going to contradict your own heart. It will offend you if you're reading it correctly. That's why God wrote it. Right? He showed us how to live a, a good and faithful life. Ours my own heart's going to lead me astray. Scripture's going to lead me right. So Scripture's going to tell me to do things that my heart won't tell me to do. When that happens, that's a good thing. That's the opportunity to trust God. It's to have confident assurance of what you hope for. Right? It's, it's to have this, this understanding that I don't see God's promise, promises fulfilled, but this is what God's asking. This is what I will do. So have that introspective look. Take some time this week. Really ask God to, to, with your, through the Holy Spirit to have that that, uh, that understanding, that discernment in, into your heart. Say, God, I want to be loyal to you. You're here today. You're here for a reason, probably because you want to seek after God. So have him show you how to love him, how to have faith, so that way our lives can please him. Some other things on your connection card, next steps that you could take this week is memorize Hebrews eleven six. 6. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is huge. This is huge for us. It is such an important uh, truth in Scripture, and I'm so grateful for it, that God is not so interested in the sacrifice as he is our heart and our loyalty. He wants us to be faithful, so learn to be faithful. Put your energy, start there. Take some time and let that spirit, like, say, you know what, God, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to be not just memorizing this, but I'm going to be asking, praying this over my life. I'm going to be using it as a filter to say, God, am I living a pleasing life for you? As we do that, next thing you want to do is read the book of James. 
Why? James talks about how, what does faith look like in a practical way when faith moves more from just our understanding into the loyalty of our actions, how to both come together. It's a great book to do that. Uh, and it's not terribly long, but is it? It's convicting and challenging at the same time encouraging, right? Because it gives us a good direction. Third thing you might want to do is to examine your loyalties. Ask God to really go into your heart and say, Lord, what, who is really sitting on the throne of my heart? And there's probably, it's probably a crowded throne if you're like most people, right? And it's more like a merry-go-round throne more than anything else, right? The different things, different times kind of sit on that throne become the most important thing. Part of becoming a follower of Jesus is learn how to put him there and, and keep him there in our lives. So ask God to reveal to you, is there anything, are there, are there things or people or, or promises or anything that's competing in my heart against you, God? Reveal those so that way you can choose him, right? Examine your heart. Make that commitment. That's a brave thing to do, and I would make sure that you would let me know you're doing that so I can pray for you this week. As you do that, remember God's grace to you. God is, loves you. He loves you so much. He is so for you and for your success. Right? If he shows you those things, it's because he, he's loyal to you too, and he wants to have that great relationship. So there is a lot of grace, so we don't have to be afraid when God shows us ugly things in our hearts. We already know they're there. But when he shows them, he also shows us how to remove them, right? So ask God for that. And then this week, choose faithfulness. Choose to be loyal. Ask God to, to bring these opportunities in your life where you, it's very clear for you. I'm, I'm doing this, God, because I love you. I have the confidence that you're God, that you're good, that, that your ways are perfect. I'm going to follow you this week. Choose it. Be brave. The enemy's going to be there to trip you up. So be brave and do it, right? Choose faithfulness. That's going to be a huge step. Right? Because those are the actions that please God. Those are the actions that, that lead to righteousness. Those are the, that's the pathway to eternal life. That's a great thing. Now, of course, if you're here this morning and you have not started that path, you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that, that, that first step of loyalty, well, that's, that's something I'm going to challenge you to do even today. You cannot please God without faith. He's made it very clear. He wants you to be loyal to him. You can't be sitting on the fence forever. If you're here this morning and, and, and you love God, but you haven't followed him, you haven't trusted him in Jesus because you either don't understand him, you don't fully agree with what Jesus had to say, I'll tell you this, this is a great opportunity for you to trust him, put God first. Do what he's asked. He's provided a way of salvation for you because he loves you. You can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There are lots of ways we express that faith in our belief, in our confession, our repentance, our baptism, our discipleship, all kinds of ways. But you're going to start a new kind of life, a life of friendship with God. And if you need to take that first step this morning, I'm going to be right over here in the front after the service. Come talk with me. Mark it on your connection card. But, man, do not leave today until you start the journey. It's the greatest journey that ever is because now it's one that you can be with God. It's a great thing. All right. Hopefully I've given you all something to do. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray for you as you make those commitments. And then after that, our, our ushers are going to come and they're going to pass these baskets. I want you to take your offering, uh, your, uh, those, your uh, offerings, your tithes, drop that in the offering basket as well as with your connection card, making that an uh, expression of your faithfulness back to God today. So let me pray for you as you do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you... Uh, are an amazing God. You're a relational God. You're not just a giant computer up there based upon righteousness and justice, uh, but God, that you are, are a living God, that you love and you love the people you created. You love us so much. You sent Christ to the cross for us. You are not just a loving God. You are a faithful God. You care for us. You never abandon us. The God, that you've given us everything we need to, to live a life of, of goodness in, in, your, in, your, in, in relationship with you. 
Uh, Father, I pray that you would grow us to be a more faithful church. I know that you know that every one of us is wayward in our own hearts, that we've followed after uh, other things, that we've been convinced by this world and, and by the enemy and by ourselves to do things that are in contradiction to you. But, but deep down, God, we all know that you are right and you're good. So help us to walk back towards you. And help us to follow that, that pathway like Abraham and not like the rich young ruler, Adam and Eve. Help us to choose you this week above ourselves and above our other beliefs. God, let us choose you to, to, to love you so that you can be pleased with us and we can be your friends. Father, I pray that you would take our commitments that we're making today and draw us closer to you in that. I pray, Father, uh, also that you take our tithes and offerings and build your kingdom for your glory because you are worthy as we love you so much. We lift all these things to you and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.